Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Conversations with Calvin. Uh, we the species, I always forget that. Uh, and it's uh, April 11th. And uh, whoops, um, I'm with Claude Lawson. And we've been talking, uh, we've been talking a whole bunch last week, right before he we went on air. Uh, uh, and and uh, Claude wrote The Power of Choice, A Teen's Guide to Finding Personal Success, which uh, I've started to read. And, and I'm just gonna make a couple of editorial important comments now, because I've said this to Claude and I've been saying this now for the last few years as I've, as I've engaged, as I've engaged in uh, the work I do with young people. And that's who Claude wrote this for, young people, uh, middle school people. And, and I've jumped in and I've been doing everything I've been doing with Gen Z's and Rutgers and I got a teaching gig at Rutgers because I engage young people. And, uh, and what I, uh, reading this uh, and what she's done, to me, it's like, oh, wow. Because she's reaching young people. And, and I said this, I always say this, the young people today are going to need more help than any other generation in world history. Uh, even though they, they have cell phones and they have the internet, uh, and they text and they have all these tools, they're going to need more help than ever before because we live in a difficult world. And whether it's climate or politics or everything going on. So uh, we're going to really plunge into this and, and discover this with Claude. So uh, that, that's, and I, I'm really uh, so thrilled with this. And I'm looking at it, I'm saying, my goodness, this is good stuff thank you get it out there for young people uh and and you know my wife was an educator we talked about this uh you know, for 30 years um you know it was a fourth grade uh and 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 and, and she's really uh so aware of this so uh anyway uh that's been my monologue Going back to Johnny Carson, it wasn't a comedic monologue, but it was a monologue. And 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 I'm thrilled, actually, to uh, introduce Claude. If you do a little bio, and then we'll kind of jump in to stuff. Sure. Thanks for that, Calvin. I appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so I am, I think, just a lifelong educator, lifelong learner. Uh, I started my... Um, teaching career in 1986. So probably people watching this weren't alive yet. Um, some of you. Um, I, and I saw a lot of changes from 1986 until I retired in 2019. And um, at first, I, I mean, te teaching is my passion. I love it. I love to be around energetic people who want to learn of any age. And so throughout my career, I ended up trying things like going to the high school and being in a middle school. And I really found that middle school was my passion because um, if you spoke to a high school teacher and said, what do you teach? They would say, I teach biology or I teach English. And when you when you teach in middle school, my firm belief is I teach students. 
and, and their focus is very content rich. And I am like, nope, these are human beings who are in probably the hardest years of their life because puberty is very hard to navigate. And at least as we get older, you know, life can always be hard to navigate, but you have more wisdom and experience. But when you're 13, 14, 15, even some of the high school kids that I've worked with, they don't have a lot of experience or wisdom and they need some uh, caring people to help give them some guidance and direction. And, and some of them are getting that at home, but I will say some homes, they're very busy. They've got two working parents. They're just trying to get through each day, each week, get everybody where they need to be, when they need to be, get people fed, get homework done. And um, there's, it has fallen by the wayside because we do have so much now. Before we had the internet, nobody was sitting at the table with their phone. <laughs> like nobody, nobody took the phone mm. off the wall and brought it to the table with them. It wasn't happening. And it seems like now we have this age of utter distractions. Um, and it's becoming harder and harder for this generation, like you're talking Gen Z, it's harder and harder for them to focus and have sustained attention because they've grown up with all of these things that are distractions. TikTok, 15, you know, your attention span is 15 seconds. That's just slightly longer than a goldfish, you know? Um, Twitter, I mean, you get just a certain number of characters, right? Everything is like short sound bites and scrolling through Instagram and things like that. Um, and I found that as I was getting, you know, into 20 plus years of teaching, it was getting harder and harder to engage students. And it wasn't because I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't because I didn't have experience or um, teaching skills or different techniques for bringing the information. It was because they did not have the sustained attention span, at which point I realized I was frustrated because I was not being as effective as I wanted to be. They were frustrated because I was expecting much more of them and they had no idea how to meet that expectation. Not even the ones that were trying to meet it. They were, they were like, I, they could not sustain their attention, even if they were trying to, which was scary to me. And so I decided that um, I would focus on helping them sort of weed through the distractions and really clarify what was important in their life, which people don't take the time to do. Adults don't take the time to do it, but kids really don't take the time because now it's every 50 minutes, the bell's going to ring. And now I got to think about this. And then after school, I've got practice or I've got, you know, their time is overscheduled. And they, their free time is screen time. You know, they're in the car. They're not having a conversation with anybody. They're texting their friends or they're scrolling through a feed. And it was affecting their ability to learn and solve problems, which is essentially, that's life, right? You, you spend your life learning and unlearning things because we first learned, uh, you know, Calvin, you'll join me in this generation. Remember the rotary phone? If you misdialed and your finger slipped, you had to start all over. 
And then it was the push button. This is exciting. And then it was, wow, this is remote and I can walk around the house and talk and I don't have to stretch the cord from wherever I was. So you had to keep learning something new. Then you get a, now you got a smartphone. You got to unlearn how to use the other stuff, learn how to use the smartphone. And it's, it's an ongoing lifelong process. I mean, for as long as we are on the planet, the things that we have now are going to become obsolete. And the next thing is we got to learn how to use that. And I get it. They're making it easier and more intuitive, but young people now think that the world is as simple as if I just speak a question into either a device that sits on a table in my house or the phone that's in my hand, I will get a solution to my problems and life's problems aren't like that. (laughs) Not the real ones. Um, And so this book was really, uh, it was about me helping my students and it was about creating better life habits for them because I knew that I was going to have them for this finite period of time but I wanted them to be successful beyond that. And, and in order to do that, you've got you've to be clear on what's important to you and what isn't because media and marketing, advertising, it makes it seem like these are the things that should be important to you. And for some people, maybe it is, but for a lot of us, the real um, contentment and satisfaction in life does not come from owning some device. Uh, it's a it's a wow. You know, I, I'm I'm jumping the gun, but I, I I wanted to say this. Uh, you know, when we met the first time a week ago or so, uh, you said something that to me that was very profound, and it was that some of the kids that you had reached. We're in, the, we're in the cafeteria and they, they told the cafeteria aid how much the work you're doing meant to them. And to me, that kind of blew me away because they, they were conscious enough and maybe mature enough and understanding enough to realize what you were doing and how much it helped them. But anyway, uh, uh, we can come back to that. But that, that really resonated with me uh, that Well, that's when I knew I I had made an impact because, you know, it's one thing to, to, they were quiet and the, you know, after I had done my little, um, I did these just mini lessons on Mondays and it was kind of, it was like the setup for the week. Okay. We're going to start in a very mindful way and we're going to carry these themes that build on each other. And they don't, you know, they're teenagers and they're in a social environment that's not the most, you know, you're not going to trust every single kid in your class um, to share anything personal with, but you, you're going to trust maybe your best friends who sit with you at lunch or, um, you know, outside of school. And when I realized they were talking to the people who had a positive impact in their life about it, that's when I knew this is getting through because that was my whole thing. Weed away the things that are not in your best interest and cultivate the ones that are. So when I realized they're having conversations, you know, I did a meditation with them. They were talking about the meditation in lunch. Wow. <laughs> I was like, whoa, great. that happened. Yeah, crazy. Great. 
I, I want to just jump uh, a sidebar. I just want to. Um, I, I thought this would it, it would um, resonate using that word again. Uh, but your your table of contents. Just to read a couple things. Uh, your dirty mind. How's life treating you? What are you willing to do? Ten thousand hours. All you need is love. That's a Beatles thing. Um, how do you want to suffer? What is the worst punishment in the world? Walk the plank. How you do anything is how you do everything. Um, guilty or innocent, living large, beware of vampires, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, this is some really great stuff. And like I said, I was kind of looking through the, uh, uh, in reading some of this, it's, it's great stuff. And, and you, know, you and I talked before, how do we shake people and make them understand that's really important stuff and it works it works well, and that's that's the thing is um having had a, a long career with young people i knew what was going to get their attention and what wasn't i wasn't going to like lecture them on um on you know we should all say please and thank you because i i think manners are great and i think we should all use them however the power of genuine gratitude. And when you feel that, like when you really feel that, when you express that to somebody or when you receive that from somebody, that's something that, you know, yes, their parents surely said to them, if you want something, you're going to say, please. And then after you get it, you're going to say, thank you. But that's not the same as instilling in them a genuine gratitude for what they already have because they all think they need the next new thing. But if they stopped and looked at all the things they had, they'd be like, my life is full. I mean, most kids, I get it. There are some kids who live in very challenging situations, but even those kids, if they, uh, and I, I had some of them in my classroom for sure. You know, when, when you get them to really write down what they're, truly thankful for in their life. I'm like, see, everybody has something that is positive. Even if you don't think about it often enough, you know, these are the kinds of moments of clarity that not only I was discuss giving as a, a topic for discussion, but giving them the time and opportunity to write down their thoughts. And honestly, it was an investment of maybe 15 minutes a week, which I, I, and I think at that point, I mean, in that point in my career, I was kind of like, well, hopefully I'll get through the rest of the curriculum because I, you know, all of the administrators, that's all they're worried about is, are you going to cover, you know, hit all the bullet points in the curriculum. And honestly, an investment of 15 minutes on a mo every Monday for each of my classes, I not only completed what I was going to do that week, I did it more in depth, like no, my discipline issues fell away. They were more engaged. They were more polite. And we covered material more with more meaning and more understanding than if I had not invested those minutes, because otherwise I would have just been battling mm -hmm. the mindset of distraction. Right. And instead I was pulling them in. Here's our focus. Now I have your attention. And it's gradual, you know, it's a 10 minute activity, then it's a 15 minute activity. Next thing you know, next thing it's, they've been active for 50 minutes and the bell rings and they go, oh my gosh, I had no idea that the bell was about to ring as opposed to 
and we've all been in the classroom where you're staring at the clock waiting for that bell to ring because you're you're like how is it possible that two minutes have gone by it feels like that was an hour and and that for kids if you're trying to do something that's full length the whole period before you've built their attention and their ability to go that long that's what it feels like for them and I used to love it when like the bell would ring and they'd be like, oh my gosh, scramble, scramble, because that's full engagement. They were not looking at the clock. They were not worried about it. Time was flying, you know, when you're in that state of flow where you have no idea that hours have gone by. Um, and that was like, that was the power of this book. Um, and, and I, I didn't foresee that. I started this as an experiment because I said, I'm so frustrated with their short attention span and, and um, their low, uh, low frustration tolerance for problem solving. Like if I can't Google this answer wow. or somebody else won't give it to me in 10 seconds, I can't do this. Like they, they learned this helplessness for themselves. And um, so that, I mean, that was the power of what happened there. It was, I, I said, I could fall on my face. This could totally fail, but I'm going to try it anyway and give it my best shot and see if I can affect change. And, and when, you know, I was only going to do it for 10 weeks. And then the kids, when I said, this is the last, this is the last week that we're doing this, they asked me for more, um, which for, for teenagers to ask you for more, to stay, to stay after class and thank you for doing it because, you know, you teach this, you know, you go through this thing right at the beginning of the period, but they'll wait till the end of the period because they're still thinking about it at the end of the period. And they would linger at the end to thank me for doing that, um, which was remarkable. Anybody who works with teenagers and young adults, I mean, I, I know a, a high school teacher, he he taught for a long time. I want to say like 35 plus years in the classroom. And I was like, well, what, you know, what's your, what's the best part about being retired? He's like, I never voluntarily have to speak to another 16 year old if I don't want to. And I thought, ouch, you know, but um, <laughs> that, you know, there, he was the high school teacher. He was trying to get content across and he was experiencing the same struggles I had but the, his mindset and focus was on the content instead of if you bring the kids along right. with you, the journey is much more pleasant. Um, I, I'm looking at my notes. Uh, if you wanted to talk about um, what this means, two monks letting go of grudges. Oh yeah. So um, what is that? So, and a lot, you know, a lot of the book is really um, it's ancient wisdom a lot, you know, a lot of it is just life skills that as adults, many of us have a handle on these. Um, we all know the adults who don't. Um, but the two monks is getting kids to understand because, you know, kids will hold a grudge. And I know family members that will hold a grudge and they'll hold it for weeks, months, years, decades. Like we've heard those stories right here. We might have those stories. Exactly. Right. And, and the story is really about the action of there are two monks and one picked up a woman and helped her across the river. And the other monk 
was so angry because as a monk, he wasn't supposed to touch a woman or speak to one or, you know, and these were the, the rules, right, I guess, of being a monk. And the, the moral of the story is really what it all boils down to is the only reason you're holding a grudge is you in the same situation would have some, done something differently than the person, than what that person did. So that one monk said, okay, but, you know, my heart says this person needs help. And so I'm going to help them. And the other person says, yeah, but she's a woman and you're not supposed to speak to her or touch her. So in same situation, two different responses, one's holding a grudge because he would have done something differently. In the end, that's what we do too, right? Somebody's mad at their family member because they did something in a certain situation. You in that same situation would have made a different choice. That time has passed. You can't undo it, forgive it, move on recognize it as a grudge that like you you know and people you know kids wake up every day like so and so did this to me yesterday and they're going to be mad at them again today and mad at them again next week i'm like you're carrying that around like that's over the only place it exists is in your mind if you let it go you know i'm not saying uh you know for, forgive but like take the lesson with you you know, if somebody truly does things that are offensive, that bother you, whatever, know that they are capable of that behavior and respond accordingly, but don't carry it around with you every day. It's not, it's, it's only hurting you, that person, they've moved on. They don't, they probably don't even know it's bothering you. So Lesson. yeah. Okay. Uh, one quick uh, off topic thing. I, I kind of forewarned you uh which has nothing to do with anything but i always like to ask this because it's um so here's the uh here's the uh the thing uh uh, uh uh excluding excluding family or friends somebody living or dead you'd like to spend a day with you don't have to answer it or if there's a couple it, it, it's just i throw this out because i i like it okay so if I got to spend one day with anybody, I would choose David Hockney. Do you know who David Hockney is? You know, I've heard the name before. Um, yeah, he is. Uh, he's world famous. He's considered. I'm not sure if he was like knighted by the Queen, but he's from uh, the UK, and he has been an artist for over fifty years. Like, just famous. You know, works in a museum. You know, works hang in museums, worldwide acclaim his, anything that he makes um, millions worth millions, right? And, and I don't, I wouldn't ask him questions about how do you paint? Because that would be irrelevant to me because how I paint is gonna be how I paint and how he paints is gonna be how his, he paints. But he has been doing the making of art for over 50 years. He went from, painting to painting abstracts to painting what was in his environment to changing his environment completely making different paintings then he created this i don't even know how to describe it It was like a framework and it had maybe 12 tv cameras and he drove 
the vehicle while simultaneously taking 12 images and like made these movies wow. so that you're seeing 12 things within the landscape at the same time. And then it was like, oh, okay, I did that. And now he's like painting using an iPad. He is, in my opinion, fearless. And I would love to get a handle on what is your mindset because he he gets it. He's in his seventies. He might be 80. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on his age. I feel like he's in his seventies though. Um, and it's just keep evolving. Don't be afraid of new things, try them. And that I kind of want to hear about what's the journey. What was, what kept you fearless all these years? Because he's honestly, I mean, the, in the UK, he's a national treasure, but I feel like worldwide, He's, he's just a treasure for his mindset. His art is uh, very um, thought-provoking, you know? Like some of it, you think it's, it's sort of that naive art, like, oh, it's very simplistic. But then the more you look at it, you realize the actual skill involved because it's, it's hard to make a painting look simple, <laughs> right? Um, but really his mindset... Um, that's, that's who I want to be. You know, I want to continue to evolve and learn and be fearless. I'd love to spend a day with him. Okay. Great answer. Great answer. Actually, that's a good segue because in my notes, um, um, I have here the highest function uh, of the mind is creativity. Uh, I, I pulled out from what I read uh, so there's a, a again my notes creativity imagination um how getting involved if you can talk about the the issue of, not an issue the the institution of creativity because uh, I, I write about creativity quite a bit in my second novel and how important it is and if it's stifled uh again yeah. for me if it's stifled if creativity is stifled it does terrible things to you even if you don't know you're being stifled so um, you're so busy, you don't have time to pay attention to what other people are doing, uh, not how getting involved in creative projects shatters competition. If you can kind of elaborate on those themes. Sure. So um, I, you know, now young people, they're very, uh, they're way more socially aware than decades ago, right? It was, you compared yourself to, the kids in your class. But now with the internet and all of the platforms that young people are on, you're comparing yourself in a much larger pool. And it's very easy to feel, um, I'll, you know, I'll never be that good. So why bother? Right. If I'm never going to be able to paint like David Hockney, for example, why bother? Uh, if I'm never going to be, uh, you know, a, a famous basketball star, why bother if, if I'm never going to do, if I'm, not, if I'm never going to, you know, make the next scientific discovery because I'm not a genius, why bother? And it, it, I think it breeds a lot of, a lot of apathy. It also breeds a lot of um, low self-worth mm -hmm. because kids don't realize that whatever they do, only they can do it that way, 
right? Yes, that person wrote the great American novel. You want to be a writer? Then write. You're, nobody else is going to write what you write. Nobody's going to string the words together in the same order you put it. Nobody's inside your head putting your thoughts together. That's yours, yours alone. And I think when we give kids the opportunity to spend time making something, and that's my big thing, make things that have never existed before. So, you know, as an artist, I do that. Uh, I, you know, I, I make and sell art all the time. And nobody else can make the painting that I make. And I don't worry about if it's not as, you know, good or deemed as good as somebody else's because they couldn't make what I made. I couldn't make what they made. And it's, it's fine. It's all good. It all has worth. It all has a place. There's room for everybody. But if you don't take up your space and if you don't fill it with the things that you were uniquely put here to do. That means you're shrinking, you're staying in the box, you're keeping the lid on top of the box. It's very, it's, um, I mean, you want to talk about a recipe for depression and um, low, just low self-worth. And that is not healthy. It's just not. Um, okay. Uh, I, I, that, uh, everything you said really resonates with me, um, the whole creativity side, because for 25 years, I sold eyeglasses and whatever was creative was stuck and it didn't come out. It was like a pressure cooker. And sometimes you, you could hear the hissing uh, mm -hmm. of the escaping uh, uh, of the air, the pressure. Uh, it's a pressure cooker of creativity. It wants to come out, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't get out. Um, another off topic thing. I, 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 I think we talked about it last week, but that the, the thing behind you that, uh, is there a symbolism to that uh, rope? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? Well, I will, I will say this, this is like a, maybe an odd thing for people to hear, but I love heights. I know some people are terrified of heights, but I was a skydiver for 12 years. So when that plane door, when that plane door opened and I, I was like, yes, yeah, this is great. Like commercial flight was killing me. Cause I was like, after 20 minutes, I was like, can we get out now? Um, mm -hmm. So when I saw this, it's, it's this, I mean, this is what I like about it. It's, it looks a little risky to walk over this bridge. Sure does. So, so taking that first step, that's a risk. It's also a suspension bridge. There's a river far below. It's in, like maybe in the other part of this um, photograph, you can see that. Um, and you're really heading into like a mist. Let me see if I tip this. Can you see it? So there's a tree oh, there. Yeah, I see that. And, and it's really like into this misty, very, you know, almost looks like a um, like a cloud forest kind of environment. So for me, it's take a risk, right? Take a step, even though you're unsure what might happen because this bridge is not exactly, um, you know engineered with cables and metal and steel and things um take a risk take the step and it's okay because with each step you get closer to what you are considering the unknown but when you get there you'll be able to see further than from my you know if you just That's stay so on cool. your own side if you stay on your own side of this of this river and of this bridge and you never take a risk you never get to see 
what beautiful thing might be on the other side. And when I saw that, I, um, I mean, I just had to have it. It's wow. huge. It's like, uh, I think it's like five foot by seven foot. So wow. it takes up. It's fabulous. Big, yeah, I love it. And I designed the rest of the room around this. Wow. This was, this was the focus. It's fabulous. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't learn this from you when we spoke last week, but you, you jump out of airplanes. I, so I, I don't, um, I don't identify with that because I'm, uh, I'm afraid of heights. Right. And, and uh, when my wife and son and I went to the city to Guggenheim some years ago, you know, it's that spiral. Thing yes. Kind of, I love uh, the Guggenheim. Yeah, and we were on the fourth or fifth or whatever level we were at. Uh, and uh, my son and wife, uh, I stayed away from the railing to look uh, down. Sure. They said, this is so great, Dad. Come come look. And and I, I couldn't walk to the edge and look down. Um, so I... I um, well, you know, the, the hardest thing, it's funny, the hardest thing about skydiving, these are all the bad puns about skydiving. The hardest thing about skydiving is the ground. So you've got to learn a lot about flying yourself, <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's, I think it's the, I think still to date, it's probably the hardest thing I ever learned is mm. how to fly yourself at 120 miles an hour. So you're, you're, a, you're a pilot then. You're I was a, I was a formation, I was on a formation team. So four of us would leave the plane together wow. and create formations. You actually did that. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, I know. Cause I am like this unassuming, you know, average in every way, average height, average build school Jeez. teacher, most, wow. most common profession in the United States is to be a school teacher. I was like, yeah, I'm uncommon or I'm common in most ways, but uncommon in just a few. And I, I like risk. I love heights. Mm. Um, and um, I think, I mean, I think that's why I like making art because I don't know what's going to happen next. Now I will say with the parachute, you know, you know, what's going to happen next. Here's the skydive. And then at a certain altitude, you know, that a parachute is going to open. So those were the certainties that you, wanted to have you always had a backup parachute in case but um yeah okay uh woof i don't um i can't even imagine uh so the last thing um to tie this put it together is um how uh you have two editions uh for this you have a teacher's edition and and you have the student uh edition so how can uh parents use this book and teachers uh, the addition with their kids and family. So how, how can this be used outside of the classroom and used at home? Sure. Um, I, honestly, I think uh, I'm going to just speak to parents first and then I'll address teachers because that's, um, e they're both easy. But parents, I know how busy you are. I am so thankful. My kids are in their 30s and many of the mayhem of the teen years is very far back in my rearview mirror but i know what it's like you're trying to get to work you're trying to get food on the table you're trying to make sure everybody's permission slips are signed and all the shenanigans are happening and it's hard i do and i think it's harder for parents to come up with 
How do we have these conversations? Sure, organically, certain things are going to happen in life and you're going to have conversations so that your kids understand how you feel about things. But the real uh, life habits that you want them to have, you have to talk to them about it. These aren't things that they're necessarily going to figure out. And this book puts it all in one place. Um, rather than you trying to also find the bandwidth to figure out what conversations you may not have had with them that would be beneficial, like here it is, it's right here for you. And the teacher's edition actually gives not only the quick, and I, I want to say these chapters are, are like one, two, maybe three pages long. They are not long. I know my audience. Teenagers, they're not going to read a 30-page chapter if they can get all that information in three. Like, and that's why, you know, I believe brevity is the key to good communication. Um, short chapters, pointed questions, because you want them to really think about it. You, you want them to, to uh, already know the answers to some of life's hard questions, because when the problem arises or the situation arises, the better they are at knowing where they stand and where their values are and what they're willing to do to get what they want and what they're not willing to do to get what they want, the easier it is for them to walk away, to stop comparing themselves. Um, a lot of kids will uh, do things they really that are not good for them in order to fit in or to get in with a certain crowd. And as soon as they clarify, like those values are not in my best interest, they don't meet where I want to go. It's a parent's job to help them. This is a tool to help them. The teacher's edition has like more discussion topics as well as the, as well as what that you, they can talk about independently or what you can help them, you know, or guide them with. The teacher's edition also has something you could do as a group. I think of it as in a classroom, you can do it with your whole class and bring them through an activity. And now you're talking about important topics. However, they're not divulging personal information, which is very important in the classroom, especially it's not a trusted environment. They, they're not going to trust every one of their classmates because they're randomly put into your room. But as a family, right there is your dinner conversation. You know, like all of a sudden, if you want your kids to be, you know, you want really want to instill like what gratitude actually feels like, right? There's exercises become dinner conversation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than you trying to think them up or, and, and it's all in teen speak. Like it's all scenarios that young people have been in mm -hmm. or can relate to because that, that's my audience. That's my expertise. It's, I didn't write it for, um, you know, 40 year old corporate people because I never worked in corporate, you know, and I never worked with 40 year old corporate people. So, I mean, I kept to what I knew and um, I've curated these down because I did this for a couple of years in my classroom. So I had more than 30 um, topics 
and I curated this down to the ones that had the most impact and I put them in the order where it built mm -hmm. because I wanted to establish trust first. I never asked students to share. I never asked them to volunteer if they didn't want to. Uh, I never read anything they wrote. It was none of my business. No, they weren't to share it with anybody else. It was just their own personal private thoughts. And um, I think as a parent, that's, uh, it's easier to have this conversation with them and they are more willing to share their thoughts with you. It's also something they come away with understanding my parent cares enough to have had this conversation with me, even if it was awkward, because some of some of the topics, they can be, you know, depending on where you're at, where your kids are at, what your family dynamic is, um, and how they're feeling about themselves in the moment, it, it can feel really awkward for them to try to express it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't push them to. It's something that organically, it'll come out later. Um, and that's what kept happening in my classroom. I would do these little mini lessons and then like down the road, something would happen and I would refer back to something that I said. And it was like this light bulb went off, click. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. And it was, they were so, they were so much more mature in my room, what they did anywhere else, hard for me to say, but in my room, the way I interacted with them, they interacted with me and they interacted with each other evolved because we had conversations about things that mattered, not about, um, you know, <laughs> not about balancing chemical equations. Cause I was teaching chemistry and physics, not, you know, like does that matter? Yes, if you're a chemist, but does it matter when you're 13? No, like this is not on your priority list of, uh, of topics, but you know, talking about letting go of grudges or how to solve, I mean, I have a whole chapter in there in like my two methods of problem solving, right? I talk about the horizontal problems vertical. and the vertical problems. And um, kids were like, this is so helpful. Like even just the awareness of what a horizontal versus a vertical problem is. And again, I just like gave, I mean, I gave it this terminology because it just, it made sense to me. Um, and they were like, oh, so when I have a vertical problem, you know, this is how you go about it. And when I have a horizontal problem, this is how you go about it. And just having that conversation. And then I could say, you know, cause you talk about, you present, okay, two problem solving strategies. And then three weeks later, they're trying to do something. And I would say, are you having a horizontal or a vertical problem right now? Like, how, like, what are we dealing with? And they'd be like, this is a horizontal problem. Okay. So, you know, it's a level playing field. It's horizontal. What are all of the ideas you have to try to solve this? Oh, this is a vertical problem. Okay. What do you need to start doing consistently and start stacking up to solve your problem? And then they, they needed no more direction. Oh, okay. Boom. Off they went. Um, it gave them so much uh, independence and self-reliance, which, you know, if you're looking for the answer to everything by searching it on Google, your self-reliance factor is probably not very high. Here, they were solving their own problems. 
identifying how they could solve it and then going ahead and doing it, which, I mean, that's, that's life, right? Life is one series of problems after another, small problems, big problems, everyday problems, once in a lifetime problems. How are we, how are you going to deal with them, solve them, understand that everybody has problems, you know, like that was one of their, you know, they always have the like, woe is me. I'm the only one going through this. They don't understand the personal is the universal. Um, and I'm like, yeah, a million other people are dealing with the same thing that you're dealing with. They're not in the room with you right now. So you think you are alone, but you know, this is solvable. Um, so, yeah. I, I, you know, uh, listening and, and absorbing, um, uh, uh, just to do a wrap here, um, you must've seen, and this is just my assumption and you don't have to answer this, but uh, uh, you, in your experience, and, and you must have seen as you put together Mindful Mondays and the response of these kids, these, these teens, these young teens, you must have seen the, you did obviously see the response, the energy, uh, uh, and the fact that you were reaching them and, and, and their reaction. And so that energy uh of, of what you observed and uh the positivity gave you the energy to do this uh and uh and i find that amazing uh because I, I know what it takes to write and and to commit yourself uh and 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 you did that so and, it's, it's and you know it i mean it helped me um at a time when a lot of my colleagues were complaining about the struggle struggles of being a teacher. I, I cannot imagine. I actually have teachers who've been using this through COVID and they've said how helpful it was. And now that the pandemic is over and they're back to in-person learning and the habits they've lost, um, it's, it's just like an easy way to address it yeah. that you don't have to, you know, cause it's like, I spent hundreds of hours doing, I mean, hundreds of hours. One, even my little lessons, it wasn't like I came up with them in five minutes. I mean, I gave it a lot of thought, but then writing the book, then you read it and then you're like, this is terrible. And you have to edit every single word after that. It's like, I've put in hundreds of hours because only because I was called to do it. Um, when I first started doing this, I was trying to help my students, my classroom and myself. And at some point I just was told this needs to be a book because if it's helping you and them this much, it can help others. Um, and that has always been the reason that I do things like come on and, and you know, you graciously have me on these interviews. I want to share it it's important. It's so important because it's, it's missing. Yeah. And it, it honestly, for me made my teaching experience in the last couple of years, um, so much better. And even now when I presented to young people in organizations and groups, um, when I have the opportunity to do that, these are things they, they have not thought about, not because they aren't important, but because nobody has said, so, you know, what are you willing to do to get what you want? Because I'm like, you know, you can watch any politician 
and it becomes very clear very quickly what they're willing to do to get what they want. And I'm like, is, are you willing to do that? And they start to say like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm not willing to like lie or be deceitful or, you know, do these. And it's kind of like, yeah, okay, well then, you know, and, and to also understand that some people have gotten rich doing things like that. I don't know. That's toxic. You, is that what you want? I don't think it is what you want. Um, and they, but then they start to clarify it for themselves. And that's really, that's why it's, you know, to finding their personal success. Cause somebody once asked me, how do you define success? I'm like, I don't, it's never once defined in that book. I don't tell you what success is because success for you might be, you know, I really want to have um, a career that makes me comfortable enough to have a modest size home and raise a family. And some people might say, I want a 30 foot yacht. I don't know if that qualifies as a yacht. I don't know anything about boats, but, um, you know, what define it for yourself and then figure out, you know, if it's going to make you happy and then how you're going to get that. Uh, it's a great place to, to kind of wrap. Um, uh, everybody will have all your contact information. I'm saying it now, but I'm, I'm just uh, all the contact information uh, about, about the book. Um, I, I just want to thank you, Claude, for your time and your energy and your passion and for having written this because it means something to me in, in my travels and journeys with young people. Yeah. So um, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, this my platform. pleasure. And, and I told you before we went on air, you know, come back and, and we'll do a panel and uh, we can explore more. I, I think more people, a lot more people need to see that. So thank you so much. Yes, happy to do it. Would love to come back. Okay, we'll talk about that. Thanks, Claude. Bye-bye. All right, thank you. Bye.